Hi, and welcome to Beyond Parking, a podcast brought to you by the British Parking Association. My name is Joey, and I'm here today with Julian, and we both work in the technology, innovation, and research team. Welcome back, Julian. How are things with you? Things are wonderful. Since uh, we spoke last, I've actually been on a parking podcast, believe it or not, visit more than one in the UK. And those uh, lovely chaps, Alistair and Ryan at Gemini Parking, have a podcast that won the Ernest Davis Award, Breaking the Mould. And it was great to be the other side of the mic, talking all about park active and environmental issues with their parking. So uh, go and have a listen if you want, guys. I think there's even an episode with our very own Steve Clark on there as well. I think there is, yeah. What we'll do is in the blurb to this podcast, we'll um, put in the link for, for the Breaking the Mould podcast. So today we've got Kate Jones, who is an innovation project manager for Scottish Southern Central Electricity Networks. Now that's a tongue twister if there ever was one. Well, you did very well there. Well done, Joey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Won't say how many times I had to say it. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> Um, and she's going to be talking to us about EVs and how we get the energy supply to more rural areas within Scotland and also within England and other parts of the UK. I think it's a really important part of the equation we don't talk much about in the parking world, and that's especially now electric vehicles are on the up. How do we configure car parks for their energy needs? And she has a wealth of experience to provide around this area, especially we mentioned the, the rural areas, but also disabled drivers and even some really nice innovations around vehicle to grid. But let's hear all about it. Yeah, over to the interview. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the Beyond Parking podcast. I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about yourself and what you do within SSE. And then actually for our listeners who haven't heard of SSE, could you explain a bit about that? Yeah, OK. So I am a project manager for Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks, or SSEN for short. I work in an area called Future Networks. So for, for you, to give you a brief overview about what SSEN does, we provide power to 3.8 million homes and businesses in the north of Scotland and in southern central England. So it's our responsibility to make sure that your electricity supply is reliable and safe and delivered to your home. So my role within Future Networks is to look at the impact of low carbon technology on the electricity network and to look at solutions to help manage the network differently or ways to improve the electricity reliability for our customers. So the low carbon technologies that I look at are things like electric vehicles, heat pumps, battery storage, that sort of thing. Thank you, Kate. And um, we are obviously the British Parking Association. We hear the perspectives of uh, our operators as regards to EV infrastructure and what they need. We're interested in, uh, in hearing your perspective. What what are the um, important considerations for you at the moment? For a network company, we are an enabler for people adopting the electric vehicles. There's going to be a massive increase or at least a, a change in the way that we use electricity. So our role is to make sure that we can provide that electricity. So what we have to look at is how the electricity usage will change in the future. So at the moment, we do that in through what we call future net energy scenarios. So we're working with a company called Regen and with Regen, we contact local councils, local authorities 
um, big businesses to understand what their plans are in the future for things like electric vehicle uptake so that we can work out how the electricity usage in a certain area will change. What we want to do from this is get a better understanding from a bottom-up approach to what will be needed so that we can invest in the network. So that could be investment through reinforcement, which is things like upgrading the cables, but also it could be things like um, what we call flexibility. So flexibility means moving electricity to a time perhaps when there's not as much need for electricity. So the best example to give you is pre-COVID. In the mornings, everyone's getting up, making their breakfast, getting showered. And then again, in the evenings, when people are getting home and putting their dinner on, washing machine, that sort of thing, we see two peaks in electricity usage. And flexibility would be would be around moving those the, the electricity that's needed at those times to different times to manage the electricity network better. I see. So it's, it's kind of like uh, we talk about smart charging from the end of the uh, car plugging in. You're talking about smart supplying, I suppose. Would that be a fair comparison? Yeah, definitely. So you, things like car hubs at the moment, If you were to park a car in there all day, it would probably be charged relatively quickly. But by the end of the day, it's just sitting there not doing anything. So, yeah, it's looking looking at opportunities for where we can shift electricity supply demand so that we can make and optimise the best um, network that we can have. Is that, I'm just curious, is there anything in terms of our car park operators when they're thinking about installing EV charge points is there anything they should be considering in relation to that yeah so when we look at things like big festivals or big events that might attract large numbers of tourists we need to start thinking about how will we manage the number of tourists that go to an area or the number of visitors so I'll I'll give you an example of Dundee so Dundee's across the water from from St Andrews when there's golfing events people tend to visit that area but that means that there's a huge fluctuation of visitors for just a couple of days so things that we'll need to start working together a bit more on is things like how are we going to manage the electricity supply that's needed for those few days and how can we look at temporary solutions that can be used elsewhere so it's not it's not just about creating that availability for the one one or two days that we might have events like that. So it's these new things that we need to explore. And also something I'm finding quite interesting is we need to get better at understanding the parking language and how it merges with the electricity network language and understanding the needs of both and how we can tie those two things in together. That's a great point, Kate. We, we have a project with Sussex University, it's called Transpark, where they're very interested in making sure people have joined up conversations and that we can learn about your needs and vice versa. So I'm sure we'll have a follow on. And I, I think I recall a conversation with you previously where you said sometimes there's too much electricity in the system, say from wind turbines. Is that right? You, you might have to shut them down sometimes? Yeah, so that's right. So National Grid spent something like £140 million last year to turn off wind farms because there's too much being produced for for what's needed at a given time. So the network can only hold so much electricity at any one point. So um, we are exploring ways that we can store that power so it can be used for when it's needed. So, for example, there's already things out there with things like Tesla looking at uh, an EV charging point alongside a battery so that it can harness the green energy from 
when it's there and, and then store it for when it's maybe not available because it's not windy all the time, it's not sunny all the time. So it's a way to sort of improve the carbon emissions again. So there's this surplus that's caused by wind turbines. What's your solution to it at the moment? If, if you've got any, any um, ways that you've managed to perhaps save money from not having to shut things down? So we're working with Orkney. So it's rural island community. They have a surplus wind energy on the island, which means that they can't, well, they're desperate to connect new new ways to, to draw some of that electricity. And this is one of the reasons Orkney is so far advanced in, in terms of electric vehicle uptake. It can be used to take some of that electricity, alleviate some of that constraint on the grid. And we, we're working on other projects to try and look at that battery storage, but also it will be alleviated even more in the future when we look at things like um, heat pump uptake, so electric heating to also meet the carbon, uh, sorry, the net zero targets. And then you can start to come on to questions around where there's perhaps not enough energy through power cuts could we look at opportunities where your electric vehicle becomes your own personal battery? So we are looking at what's called vehicle to grid. So this is about, could your electric vehicle be plugged into your home to provide you extra supply, perhaps when there's a planned outage, so maintenance or in unplanned outages, such as storms, poor weather, that type of thing. Just to add on to that, I was at a conference where at the moment people are doing that and they're they're earning money by putting energy back into the grid. So they're charging and storing up through the lower times and then putting it back into the grid. How do you think that would work in terms of car hubs and that kind of thing? Well, car hubs may be, offer, be able to offer um, cheaper charging tariffs if they looked at things like smart hubs. So if you had 10 parking spaces with 10 opportunities to charge your vehicle, if that could be managed smartly, we could work with the electricity network and the charge point owners to work out when would be the optimum time for the electricity network. And therefore, with the use of things like time of use tariffs, we could offer charging potentially at a cheaper rate because there's less demand. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I was going to move on to our next question. So and how we we met you and um, and you got involved with the BPA. Um, we at the BPA are really interested in the needs of disabled drivers and how our sector caters for them. And uh, when we first met you, it was in relation to a project that you're managing called Equal EV. Can you tell us a bit more about that project? So this is an Ofgem funded project and we're working with Disabled Motoring UK and we've had some great input from the BPA as well. Now, the prime objective of this project is to look at the barriers for adoption of electric vehicles, particularly for people with vulnerabilities or disabilities. So at the moment in the UK, there's around 2 million blue badge holders and there's around 630,000 people that are registered to the mobility scheme. And there is EVs available for, for people to take on that scheme, but uptake has been low. So what this project's doing is investigating perhaps some of those unique barriers um, that these drivers may face with adopting electric vehicles. So what we want to understand is what can we do as a network operator 
to perhaps remove some of those challenges and, and look at EVs um, being adopted more widely. So one of the main objectives for the network operators is to make sure that nobody gets left behind as part of the net zero transition. And we have a service which is called Priority Service Register. Now, this is a free service that is offered by all network operators in the UK. And it's about providing extra support to those that need it. So for example, if there's poor weather forecast, we might reach out to somebody that's got medical equipment in their home to say, just so you know, there is weather poor weather coming, is your batteries fully charged for backup of that equipment? So the reason I mention that is one of the points that we think for electric vehicles that could be a benefit to people with disabilities is that they could use this as an extra battery storage like we talked about before. So what we are doing with this project is we are looking at those barriers for adoption and looking at innovative solutions to help resolve them. And one of those solutions will be a wireless charging solution, so induction charging, which is similar to your phone induction charging, but for a car. Or your toothbrush, I guess. Yeah, your toothbrush. <laughs> Not more of a socket, though. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. How about the um, the other issues around um, disabled drivers and EVs? Are you looking into how they can access uh, the, the actual charge points and, and any assumptions that are made about um, someone someone's mobility or fine motor skills, that sort of thing? Yeah, so for every driver, regardless of if they have any mobility issues, you're going to either be charging at home, at work, on route, so that's roads or motorways, or at a destination such as a supermarket or retail parks or that sort of thing. And at the moment, for the people that have electric vehicles, it's something like 62% are charging at home. That's set to reduce in the future to 38%. So that means that people are looking to charge their cars in public spaces. So what we want to understand as part of this is what will be the barriers for people charging in public spaces. So at home, you'll have your driveway, you'll have maybe mobility aids, space that you can maneuver comfortably around your home. But in, in public spaces, Perhaps there's bollards or heavy cables that you need to manoeuvre and, and, and that's not an option. So what we want to do is come up with some traditional things that could be easily changed, such as better signage, better awareness of accessible charging points and have that alongside some of these innovative solutions, like I mentioned, the vehicle to grid and the wireless charging. And with the hope that we can encourage more people with disabilities or vulnerabilities to to adopt an electric vehicle. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. I think it's something that's quite often overlooked. I was just wondering. I know you've mentioned some of the barriers, but what what are um, like from the research and the um, user engagement that you've done? What are the key barriers that have come up? Are we talking about people with physical disabilities, or are we talking about other disabilities as well? So we have a definition as part of the priority service register as to mm -hmm. what vulnerability means. Now we are looking at two groups of people so with um, mobility issues or also elderly people. Now the barriers that have come out as part of the early learning from the literature review which will be available 
in April, they indicate that access to charging is an issue. So the, the spaciousness, both at home and in public charging. It also indicates the lack of information on accessibility, the range anxiety that perhaps may, may come from an electric vehicle. Although I would add that we have seen so far in our study that people that are our blue badge holders actually have an average journey time of less than 20 miles per day. So they're perfect for adopting an electric vehicle. And one of the good things about electric vehicle is you don't actually have to drive to a petrol station if you've got at home charging. You know, in some parts, particularly in rural Scotland or even rural England, is you might have to drive for 30 minutes before you can get your get your petrol, <laughs> whereas you wouldn't have to do that. But that brings new challenges for, for the electricity network, because we need to understand if there's a power cut overnight, how is that going to impact you as an individual? And will people become more vulnerable because they've not had um, access to charging overnight? What we're trying to understand from the barriers point of view is, what new services do we need to offer in the future to make sure that that's not going to happen? Thank you, Kate. I just thought it was interesting because you were saying that actually that people's concerns or the barriers to electric vehicles were access, range anxiety and a lack of information. I just thought it was interesting that actually range anxiety and a lack of information is a, they're like general barriers, I think to EV when you talk about take up of EV generally? So whilst the network operator might not be directly responsible for some of those general barriers, we do feel it's important to not only collaborate with the right parties, but also lobby for change to make sure that none of our customers get left behind. So we do offer things like um, advice. Um, Now it wouldn't be directly through us, it would be through our partners, but it's, we, it's important for us to be able to lobby that change and support um, a fair and just transition as part of the low carbon technology targets. Yeah, that makes sense. More voices means it kind of gets lifted up to the forefront. Definitely. Um, I was also just wondering if there was anything major for the parking sector that hasn't been addressed that you think is important, particularly, I guess, similar to the question I was asking earlier around what our parking operators should be considering. Obviously, working with energy suppliers is something that traditionally parking operators haven't really had to do. So I mentioned that we're working on future energy scenarios. So something that we're doing as part of that is working with local authorities to understand the plans for electric vehicles. So it's important that we can feed that information into these plans so that we can get the network ready ahead of time so that it's ready for when the users need it. So we're working on what's called a local network plan. And in the future, the government are looking at local energy plans, which will help um, predict where electricity is needed. And I suppose for, for, for your members, it's about understanding the, the interaction with the network operator. And particularly for any members that are in our area, I would hope that we've reached out to them as part of that piece of work. Um, but I suppose 
more widely, you know, if, if there's people um, or members within our area, you know, we do offer a series of like webinars to to understand these processes a bit better. So um, you said at the beginning, Kate, that you cover um, South and Central England as well. But I'm actually interested in how you work with the Scottish government and perhaps how that might differ to how things go on in, the, in, in England. I'm, I'm aware that they've been very supportive about uh, EV infrastructure. Maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, we do have a few projects in the England space. It's probably just a little bit of me being uh, based in Scotland and sharing more of my local knowledge. But working with Scottish Government, we actually have set up um, in August 2019 an EV strategic partnership. It was announced by the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. And that partnership is with Scottish Government, Transport Scotland. So that's the partnership um, transport programme in, in, in the north of Scotland and Scottish Power. So as I mentioned at the start, SSEN do everything in the north of Scotland and Scottish Power do everything in the south. So the purpose of this EV partnership is around coordinating plans and investment to make sure that we invest in the most appropriate areas when it's needed. And a lot of what we're having to look at is um, how can we make sure that we don't leave rural communities behind so, for example, um, this has been likened to the broadband rollout. So in parts of Scotland, and I'm sure parts of England, broadband rollout in rural areas took a little bit of time to get there. And we don't want the same thing happening with EV rollout. So we're working together to look at solutions. And we have several projects on the go that have been quite successful to date. And part of us working together is around understanding where local plans for EV charging works because there's a, a, a local economy there that also needs supporting, but also where it's the best place for the network as well. So one of the things that we're doing at the BPA is we're very involved in active travel and looking at different ways that car parks can be used and different ways that people are going to be travelling in the future. And What do you think about that and how do you think that's going to impact on the energy network? As we move to the future, it probably needs to be a mixture of electric vehicles, e-bikes, walking, green gas buses, green gas heavy goods vehicles. Um, one of the things that we are starting to look at is how um, transport hubs will combine. So, for example, electric rail, hydrogen hubs and, and the, the electric vehicle charging points as well. You know, it's interesting because we mentioned before about surplus wind, an opportunity for surplus wind could be hydrogen production. It could also be the, the storage that we spoke about. But I think in the future, it's about um, the local planning and working out what's best for the specific areas. So, for example, if you're in an area that has gas at the moment and the gas network is looking at green gas in the future, the optimum solution is probably a mixture of green gas and electric-based solutions. That's fascinating. And uh, so yeah, your electric vehicle is basically a travelling power supply in the future. Yeah, it's your portable power pack like your phone. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking before, I think one of the things that this conversation's highlighted is that actually the knowledge within the area of energy isn't great enough and you can see that from kind of mine and Julian's conversation it sort of highlights that actually there needs to be more conversations like this happening and more collaboration between energy suppliers and parking operators and people reaching out in both directions to build those connections and 
um, create more understanding and knowledge across both areas. I think it's interesting your piece of work with the University of Sussex. Mm. This, yeah, the transport project, yeah. Yeah, and understanding the differences between between the two industries because, you know, you probably didn't think at one point if you were uh, a tourist business that you might need to engage with your network provider so much. But as people want to travel more greenly, and especially at the moment with more staycations, you know, places like the Isle of Wight, the Cairngorms, they're looking at how can people come to that area and only use an electric vehicle or an e-bike whilst they're on holiday there, or e-buses for that matter as well. So it's interesting how all these different industries are colliding and and it'll be interesting to see how we can translate our different experiences to work out the best plan. Mm. And do you think, just talking about, say, the Cairngorms, for example, do you think that's actually possible that if I was, I do a lot of hiking, mountaineering in my free time, if I were to come up and drive up an EV, do you think it's realistic for that to happen, like, in the short-term future? Could you see in terms of range and electricity supply and that kind of thing? I think it's it, it's a possibility for the near future, yes, because, you know, range is quite good at the moment. You might still have to plan your journey and, and hope that there's availability of, of charge points, but it won't be the whole, whole of the areas yet. So in areas perhaps where there's less residential demands or less houses, perhaps the electricity network um, needs to be managed differently. But for, for the main areas, yes, I do think it's a possibility that you could go greenly, a green staycation. Be quite good, wouldn't it? Do you think, um, I'm just thinking, and this is partly because of where I live and I'm, I'm in sort of central city location where there isn't off-street parking. In terms of the Equal EV project that you've been working on, is that something you've considered as well? Is people with mobility um, considerations or disabilities who don't have off-street parking and therefore might be restricted in getting an EV because of that? I think this is important with Equal EV and why we need to work with partners to make sure that those barriers are removed, because you're right, most people won't have a driveway that they can plug their car into into the future or you know look at people within flats even the flat car park maybe can't handle charging what 15 vehicles Mm -hmm. so absolutely in the future we need to look more at public charging and and look at the accessibility of that but also perhaps in areas where they're there isn't much residential demand. So you've mentioned that you like hiking. You know, there's not a lot sometimes when you go hiking. So how can we work with other industries to look at things like park, ride and charge? And the charging facility would be in places where the network is fine. There's probably built up demand and there's space to charge all these vehicles. You know, there's lots of opportunities in the future. You know, some of the things that we've spoken about is things like valet charging, so valet charging um, is when somebody picks up your vehicle, takes it away to be charged and, and brings it brings it back the next day. And these would be great solutions in places perhaps where the accommodation for large numbers of visitors might be like Airbnbs, somebody's home supply, a home supply. They might rent out a couple of 
rooms, but your house supply might not be able to cope with five electric vehicles charging overnight. So it's it's about working out these solutions that that are, feel a bit outside of the box at the moment, but it's actually about that data sharing and working together with other industries. Thanks for joining us today, Kate. Really interesting to hear about not just the needs of and and the thinking of a of a of a distribution network and electricity supplier, but also what you're doing for disabled drivers. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Really good chatting. Thanks.